Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. The Rocket Mortgage Super Bowl Square Sweepstakes is here. Rocket Mortgage is giving away millions during Super Bowl 54. See rules and enter for a free, absolutely free, at rocketmortgagesquares.com. Two hours away from Andy Gresh. He left Club Fats. He's no longer a fat ass, and he's letting America know. He mentioned me by name the other night in the middle of the night. I'm Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. On the air, go, hey, uh, you got a shout-out from one of the guys overnight on CBS Sports Radio. And she says this on the air, and I says, what? She says, yeah. So I go home. I figure it all out. Let me just play this real quick. I got to find the damn thing first, which means I'm probably going to have to play something we're going to have to dump because I might play a cuss word by accident. This is the best thing about the radio.com rewind feature is I can go back and I can find gems like this. Because that's a good one. No, that's a good one right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was my vintage fattiness too. I was like Ken Carmen size in that photo probably. And I jokingly say that because Ken's a friend and he knows he's a large human. Erase a phrase. Being, and that being said, I should say. And that being said, he should say. Total eraser phrase by former fat ass Andy Gresh. If you've ever seen The Breakfast Club, Judd is right. There's fat people and then there's people who are, used to be fat and in the back of their minds, you look through their eyes, and there's a fat person that's in there. I'll get you soon, Gresh. I'm around the corner, and then fat is right behind the other corner. And we'll still be able to catch you. Just because you used to be a fat ass doesn't mean that the dragon still ain't chasing you, fatty. 855-2124-CBS. Guy loses like 150 pounds, and now he's going to call out other people for being fat. Quitter. Coming up in 40 minutes, Steve Berline going to join us. 17-year NFL vet, analyst, CBS Sports Network. He's one of the best. We'll talk to him about quarterbacks. I'm glad Derek Jeter didn't get the unanimous vote. I'm not a hater. I do. I, I wonder what we'd think of Derek Jeter if he played for the New York Mets instead of the New York Yankees. Sorry, it's the truth. But I know that he's a first-bout Hall of Famer, and he's great and all that stuff. I'm not saying he's not. I'm glad he wasn't a unanimous Hall of Famer in that case. I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think that people going against the grain can be a healthy thing. I would vote for him for the Hall of Fame. If I had a vote, yes, I'd vote for Derek Jeter for the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. What I loved about it, though, was that it threw a couple of highlights on things. I talked with J.P. Hornster about this in the last segment. Hickey, do we have it? Do we have it? I didn't ask. We have it ready to go, Ken. We have it. This is J.P. Hornstra, Southern California Media Group, just about 20 minutes ago, right here on the Ken Carmen Show. His answer about Derek Jeter. Go! I actually agree with you on this. So, like, specifically, I know two voters. I know one personally, and and, um, this voter didn't want me to name them, but I know of two voters 
who were so ridiculed for voting for a fringe candidate. It wasn't omitting a Derek Jeter. It was for voting for somebody who was not a Hall of Famer, but a player that they sincerely liked, who had some contributions that were overlooked, and they just wanted to put a little shine on him, um, revealed their ballot publicly, and got so ridiculed for that that they have not made their ballot public since. And I know of another voter who was just so tired of the, the sort of online feedback loop that you're talking about, who just stopped voting altogether. And these are like good, smart people. Like these aren't idiots who haven't covered baseball in 10 years who shouldn't have a ballot. These are people who are pretty darn plugged in actually talking to baseball players regularly because they are good reporters who want to do their job well. Um, And those are the people who should not be voting and who should not be talking to the public about their ballot and who should not be explaining the value of a fringe candidate like some of the people who got one vote this year. Um, I wrote about this on Wednesday, Raul Abanez, Mm -hmm. uh, J.J. Putz, um, Adam Dunn, and uh, who was the other one? Uh, Brad Penny. These guys got one vote. I don't know who voted for them, but I'm pretty sure that if you if you had those writers on right now, they would say, look, I know they're not Hall of Famers, but let's talk about what they did because they did have a pretty good long career. And there's value in having that discussion. Why should they be ridiculed so much for that one vote that they should not even be allowed to have that discussion publicly? I think it's totally stupid. I'm right there with you. It came to the point I was afraid to ask JP the question, because I and I wanted to set him up the right way. I gave my opinion first to see if he agreed, and I was waiting for him to beat me up on it. I didn't want to ask him about Derek Jeter and then just have him go crazy ripping whoever voted against Derek Jeter, because it does highlight a couple of the problems. Derek Jeter's a bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer. No one in the world is arguing that, not even the guy who didn't vote for him. Probably the guy who didn't vote for him, He might have been an a-hole, we have no idea, or she might have been an a-hole, we have no idea. Or they just figured, nah, Derek Jeter's getting in, easily. Be in this summer, Uh, I'm going to make sure this person stays on the ballot. Or they just didn't think, the third option, they didn't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's always that possibility. This is what I do hate about social media. I love social media. I'm on social media a lot, it's what I got to do. It's part of what I want to do. I'm not on Instagram. Instagram's no place for a married man. Maybe I'll be on TikTok. That looks like fun. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, sometimes begrudgingly. I'm on other things. I'm sure eventually I have no problem with social media. There's something, though, that I can't stand about it. It's groupthink, and it kills ideas, and it kills the American spirit. Brian Windhorst was on ESPN just a couple of years ago, and this was after Steph Curry was voted a unanimous MVP. And we were talk- And he was talking about a couple of the different people that could have been up for MVP, And it was a thought of, oh, I can't vote for LeBron, even though I feel that LeBron has done the most for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Cavaliers would be absolute garbage without him. But I can't vote for LeBron James, because if I vote for LeBron James, the reaction is going to be too strong on social media. He said it right there on ESPN. This is a man who I do respect for his basketball acumen. This This is a man who I do respect about his knowledge of the game and about the people he covers and about the work that he does. I do respect him for it. But when you're willing to admit it right then and there that you're afraid of the pushback you're going to get on the Internet of all places because of who you vote for in sports, the system then is broken. 
we look back at Steph Curry's unanimous MVP season. Maybe he deserved it, maybe he didn't. But now I ask the question, are you a unanimous MVP because you really did deserve it? He changed the way we played basketball. He was amazing that year. Maybe he did. Or were you nervous over the social media pressure? That there were going to be people who quote tweet you and say nasty things. Because all this weird argument, all this weird group think that comes down to it in social media when it comes to Twitter and, and Facebook and so on, all it really boils down to is fake outrage. Is anybody, if, if Steph Curry, who will be a Hall of Famer, obviously, if Steph Curry becomes a Hall of Famer, if he weren't a unanimous MVP, will you be sitting there in 10 to 15 or 20 years or however long we play still, and you'll be sitting there going, I can't believe this guy wasn't unanimous way back when. Will you be sitting there during this summer's Hall of Fame ceremonies with Derek Jeter, and boiling during that interview and then during that speech and the induction because he wasn't unanimous? No. He's a Hall of Famer. You won't care. It's part of the same argument I'm bringing up against Eli Manning or against the people arguing against Eli Manning. Yes, Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. Not the greatest of the generation. The greatest ever played in this generation. And then the other arguable greatest of the generation just played in the generation before. It gets harder and harder as time goes on. I'm not making an argument saying that he's the greatest ever. I'm saying he's one of them and that he's a Hall of Famer. And for Derek Jeter, maybe he's the greatest shortstop to ever play the game. I would beg to differ, but that's not the argument. It's about whether or not in this class, his first bout, does he deserve to be a unanimous Hall of Famer. There was one person out there who didn't think so. And because it's this time of year and because we have, well, we have a whole nother week before the Super Bowl, so things really time to kind of die down. We don't have a lot to say about the Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl isn't that good. And we say it sucks, even though the ratings were actually up last year. Then I decide that we love to be outraged about things, so we're going to spend days pontificating on the radio and, and, and on the internet and going after some weird witch hunt for some person trying to figure out who was the one who didn't vote for Derek Jeter. When you really don't care. You won't care this summer and you won't care for eternity. People are not going to go to Cooperstown 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 100 years from now and look at Derek Jeter who quite possibly could very well be arguably the best shortstop to ever play the game offensively and defensively and go, I cannot believe it wasn't a unanimous MVP because it simply doesn't matter. In is in, and our thoughts and our opinions of Derek Jeter are our thoughts and our opinions of Derek Jeter. Unanimous. Because you're looking for retweets and likes on social media. Please. I'm glad he didn't get unanimous. I wish the person would stand there like, Shawn Michaels, after he threw Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window and let people boo him, cascade him with boos, like Bash of the Beach 97 with Hulk Hogan. I wish that that person would do that. But part of me really likes that we can't find out who it is, and we may never will, because you simply just won't care. You probably don't care already. But I only host this, this show once a week, and I just had to get it off my chest. So thank you very much for hearing me out. 855-2124-CBS. Coming up here in a little bit, Steve Berline, 17-year NFL quarterback analyst, CBS Sports Network. I want to know from him which quarterback is more equipped to turn his football team into a dynasty after Super Bowl 54. That coming up, up next, it is Five Burning Questions. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. Favorite time of the week. It's time for Hickey to take me to task. It's five burning questions. Go ahead, Hick. 
All right, Ken, let's get it burning. So last night, another impressive performance from Zion Williamson, who poured in 15 points and six rebounds. Now, through two games, the Duke product is 15 of 20 from the field, which is the best field goal percentage for a player's first two games in the shot clock era. Now, obviously, the game was now without controversy as Williamson played 21 minutes, which is three more than 18 in his debut. But <laughs> many Pelicans fans were again upset as they saw their team lose down the stretch and saw Zion sitting on the bench for most of that home stretch in the fourth quarter. Oh, come on. So do you like the approach of easing Zion into the game, into the action at the cost of winning games for the Pelicans? Yes, yes. Now, I understand what a what a Pelicans fan would think because you're thinking right now you probably have seven years with Zion. And that time's going to go quicker than you think. Because he'll probably go, and you're going to be upset with that. And he might do the Shaq thing, which makes it even more worrisome. But I don't think you're going to the playoffs with him. You've already missed a significant amount of time. I don't think you're doing much damage in the playoffs with him. So you could, and I hate to talk about tanking even in the NBA, you probably did do the right thing. I know fans are upset. When you're paying to go see basketball, you're paying to go see your home team, you want to see your home team win. But you're not getting to the playoffs. You're not going to do any damage in the playoffs. Let him play. Let him surprise you. Let him do wonderful things. Get another piece with him. Try to woo some other suitors with him as well and see what you can do next year and the year after that. You ha- you still have a window. You still need to bring him along the right way. And plus, he is your franchise. So even if he decides to stay, which you won't, but even if he decides to stay, you want to make sure that you get the very best out of the young man. Next. All right, so Dallas Keigel became the first player from the 2017 Astros team to publicly apologize for the illegal cheating that took place. He's now a member of the Chicago White Sox, and he was speaking at their Sox Fest 2020 yesterday when Keigel said, quote, it's just what the state of baseball was at that point in time. Was it against the rules? Yes, it was. And I personally am sorry for what's come about the whole situation, end quote. Keigel then went on to say later, quote, it's not like every game we had it going on, end quote, speaking of the cameras and, and the cheating. <laughs> So what do you make about Keiko's apology? Was Pablo Escobar dealing drugs every day or like he couldn't have been dealing coke every day, right? I, you never know. I mean, like maybe at one not. point it, at one point it did become every day. At one point it did become every day, but when Pablo Escobar first started, he couldn't have been doing it every day. Like he had to take a day off. <laughs> wow. If you're going to say that, just don't say anything at all. Don't say anything at all. I don't know why you would say that. I don't, it's not like we did it every game. Well, they didn't do it every game. So, I mean, come on. You didn't do it. They, no, you're, you're giving people what they want. There are people who want to nail your ass to the wall over this, folks. L.A. City Council, and I think it's a waste of time and resources. L.A. City Council wants to try to get back two world championships because they lost to the Red Sox and they lost to the Houston Astros. People are really angry about this, and you're justifying it. You're throwing more gas on the fire by saying that. Maybe you might might have meant to do the right thing. It does seem like Dallas Keuchel did. But in good intentions, you still have to send the right message. And you really just doubled down on silliness there. So he shouldn't have said anything there. I don't know if that that's the answer to the actual question, Hickey. Is that the answer? Yeah, no, I think it's a okay. pretty, pretty good answer. All right. Yeah, he shouldn't have said anything there. And obviously his, his attempt at an apology is going to be accepted when you're giving me a quote saying that, hey, it wasn't like we did it every game. Oh. All right, well, you didn't do it every day, so fine. Here's your championship, and everybody's happy, and everybody will forgive you. Give A.J. Hinch his his job back. Everybody should be okay. Lunal, everybody. We've moved on, haven't we? Next. All right, try to continue your excitement here. There's not one, but two All-Star weekends taking place in sports this weekend. The Pro Bowl Sunday's NFC will take on the AFC, and in the NHL, the 3-3 tournament will take place later on tonight. 
Now, obviously, we'll include both the MLB and NBA All-Star festivities in this as well. So how would you rank the four pro major sports weekends, uh, their All-Star weekends, in terms of excitement uh, to watch? You ready? Let's do it. All behind NASCAR. Wow. There it is. Said it. Man in America. NASCAR's All-Star race is good stuff. Except when they mess with the format. I still like the 30-30-10. The 10-lap sprint is really, really good. But you got checkers or wreckers racing for a whole lot of money under the lights at Charlotte Motor Speedway the week before the one of the gems, one of the four gems in NASCAR. I'm trying to do a Ken. I'm slipping into it and I didn't realize a Ken Squire impression. One of the gems in NASCAR, the Coca-Cola 600. It, they're all behind. You can figure it out the other way. I'm going to totally torpedo your question. I'm going to say they're all behind NASCAR. NASCAR has the best all-star game out of all of them. Next. All right, Ken. So we'll take this back to yesterday. As an interesting debate occurred on your local show in Cleveland that I think is worth bringing up here. Now, in terms of discussing how you'd rather see your season end in the NFL, oh, you God, said no. and you claimed <laughs> that you'd rather see your team go 6-10, and 10, just like your Browns did this year, <laughs> instead of going 14-2 and two with a home playoff loss in the divisional round like the Ravens did. So you'd rather be 6-10 yeah. and 10 than 14-2 yeah. and two losing the playoffs like the Ravens. So, Ken, it's not even a question. Explain yourself. All right. Just let me explain this here, okay? Because so many people got it mixed up. They said, Ken, you'd really rather be the Browns than the Ravens. That's silly. No, that's not what I said. I look at it through through this prism, all right? See if you can catch this. And this is going to be a bit of a greasy example, but go with me, all right? The Browns are 6-10. and 10. Ultimately, it gets thrown into the mix of a whole lot of bad, bad seasons, right? And so over time, you forget about certain records of certain years because it all just mixes in into one bag of garbage, right? Hickey, say you're right. Yes? Yes. Right, right, yes. right, right. The Ravens... We're 14-2. and two. Their quarterback is the MVP. They changed the way we look at football for the season. And that game, and if you watch that game and you saw the pregame ceremony and everything, that was a coronation. That was not supposed to be a game. That was, we're beginning our, our, our movement to the Super Bowl. We will anoint Lamar Jackson. This is where this goes, and this is how we're going to be for a long time to come. And then they got stoned out at home against Tennessee. So let me bring this comparison in. Let me bring this analogy to you to see if people can understand. Because this isn't this isn't a take. This isn't even an opinion. These are just my feelings. These are my emotions. When I was in high school, I got shot down a lot by girls who were out of my league. And while it was embarrassing and frustrating, it wasn't heartbreaking because I didn't know what I was missing. I got my first girlfriend. She broke up with me about a year later. It hurt really, really bad because then I knew what I was missing. So read between the lines, and there's a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 20 years. And there's a fan base where if you were a kid born in the early 90s or anything, you don't really know what it's like to have good football. You have another fan base that does. And so I'm saying... I don't know what I'm missing. It doesn't hurt as much. If my team were to go 14-2 out of nowhere and get to that stage at First Energy Stadium and lose to a team that everybody thinks we should beat at home, I don't know if I could do the show today. 
Like, if they would have lost that Saturday, I might lock myself up in our bedroom for an entire week. The only reason I would maybe be able to soldier on is because of my kids. Like, that's how serious it would be. So, does that explain it at all for you, Hickey? Yes. I I disagree, but yes. That's fine. That's fine. It makes sense. And on the other side, everybody's like, Ken, you'd rather go 14-2 and and go to the playoffs. This is stupid. Totally see your point. But I'm just talking about my emotions. There was a time where I didn't know what I was missing, and while it was embarrassing and sucked, and the Browns have been embarrassing and have sucked up the room for a long time, I don't know what I'm missing yet. If I'm a Ravens fan, and that'll be the damn day, but if I'm a Ravens fan, then I know what I'm missing, and it it hurts even more. Next. All right, we'll wrap up with this then, Ken. The Athletic reported earlier this week that there was some preferential treatment of star players Kawhi Leonard and Paula George that have rubbed some other Clippers players on the team the wrong way. The article went on to cite sources that say that the way Leonard has been resting, along with his quiet ways, haven't really been conducive to building some team chemistry. Mm. Now, the Clippers are currently third of the West with a 32-14 and 14 record. Mm. So is internal unrest the only thing that could derail the Clippers from a championship this season? You know, they're reminding me a lot of the LeBron Cavaliers. And if you're going to be the LeBron Cavaliers, you have to have a mindset like LeBron. LeBron is a polarizing figure in a lot of ways, but is a very gregarious figure, too, in a lot of ways. And can if you're one of his guys, and, and all his teams are his guys because he's the sole reason for all his teams. By the way, I, I heard a couple of people saying, well, he's not really a Laker. No, the Lakers are just a LeBron team, and I could break that down at another day. If you're going to do it the way the Clippers are doing it, and last year they were a real try-hard team, And so they tried hard in every game, and they were fun. But when you add expectations and when you add superstars, it it takes a minute for that to gel. And so you can be very frustrated with each other. So you need a guy who has a big voice. LeBron has a big voice. Kawhi doesn't. And so you're going to have guys, especially in that league where there's a lot of egos and a lot of personality, they're going to be rubbed the wrong way if a guy isn't loud to them, isn't talking to them. And God knows LeBron made plenty of mistakes. The fit in, fit out, things like that. But if you're going to be pillars of each one of those teams, and that's what they are in that same city, you're going to have to have a loudmouth guy who makes people believe in him and knows that they can count on him because of his talent, where the other guy, I know I can count on Kawhi Leonard when the chips are down. He hits amazing shots. He's one of the best to play the game right now. But if you're not carrying me through, if you're not grabbing me by the hand and talking me through this, if I don't know what you're doing, I'm going to be upset about it. It's simple physics of what our relationships are. It's a simple biology of what our own personal relationships are with men and women in our own personal lives. If you don't tell me the problem, I'm going to become frustrated with you. And so now if I don't know the problem with Kawhi Leonard, then guys are going to get frustrated with him. Eventually, they'll get to the playoffs. I think they'll, I think they'll settle down, and they'll probably carry, them way, carry their way through to the Western Conference Finals. We'll see where it goes from there. So I think a little bit of this is overblown. A lot of this is overblown, but I think that's what they're dealing with right now. Is that it? That's it. That's five. I thought you had a bonus. Well, I did, but we ran out of time. and already deleted it. Oh, my it. It's God. about the All-Star game, which, you know, of this 10 starters, who would you pick as your five? So it wasn't really too uh, Yeah, that question sucked. I'm glad you asked me the other questions. Yeah, I'm glad I got rid of that one. Genius Steve Bur- me, of course. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Steve Berline. He does not suck. He joins us next. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4227, 855-212-4CBS. It's CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line. It's sponsored by GEICO. Whether you own, whether you rent, GEICO, they make it easy to bundle home and auto insurance. Having a home is hard work, so get a quote at GEICO.com. It's very, very easy. Also, this weekend, CBS coverage, CBS's coverage of the PGA Tour season begins with a fantastic field, including Tiger, Rory, and Phil. 
as they head to Torrey Pines to compete at the Farmers Insurance Open. Coverage begins at 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific on Saturday and Sunday. The PGA Tour is on CBS. Right now we go to the hotline. We welcome in 17-year NFL vet analyst, CBS Sports Network, great quarterback, great guy. Steve Berline joins us on the show. Find him on Twitter at Steve Berline. Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here, man. Lots to talk about. It's great to have you. I started off the show. I was surprised. I really was. I thought that, boy, this isn't necessarily a boil and take, and a lot of people disagreed. I, I think that San Francisco, I, we're a week out. I, I think that San Francisco is going to win on Sunday, but I think the team that's better built because of the quarterback for a, for a possible dynasty or to go back many times would be Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. Am I wrong? And if I am, tell me why. I don't think there is a right or wrong with this game, with this game or anything about <laughs> this game uh, because I just think it's that even, and I think you can make a case for either side. And, and I would love to say the 49ers, and I do think that the 49ers are probably, uh, when you factor in how good their defense is, are probably the, the better all-around team right now. But you cannot measure the Patrick Mahomes effect. And, and, and I, I, my gut just tells me, as much as I would like to say the 49ers are going to win because Kyle Shanahan, I've known him since he was five years old. Mike Shanahan, his dad, was, was my coach at the Raiders and the Broncos, and we're very, very close. And I know Kyle and I would love to say I feel like the Niners are going to win, but my gut just tells me that Mahomes is going to do something at the end of this game to find a way to pull it out for the Chiefs, and that's just the way I see it going. we got the great Steve Berline joining us on the show. When you've watched the NFL this year, are you a little bit refreshed? Because over the last few seasons, it's been unbelievable numbers through the air, and I know you're a quarterback, but, boy, we've seen a lot of good game planning. We've seen a lot of good run games and a lot of team football that's been winning a lot of games and putting teams in high places. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and uh, you know, the numbers, it's what the NFL kind of created with the rule changes over the last 15 to, uh, you know, 20 years. Uh, it, it's been, you know, an evolution, but we're at the point now where uh, the numbers are, are ridiculous, how, how, how these quarterbacks are putting up the numbers. 5,000 yards is, is like 4,000 used to be, even 3,000 back in the, in the, you know, 70s and 80s. So, uh, it's a different ball game, but man, there, there's some really creative things being done offensively. Uh, trying to take advantage of the game, it's very hard to play defense. Um, you know, a lot of people say it's because the quarterbacks are that much better or the receivers are better, but that's that's implying that the defensive players are worse. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a way you can make that argument other than just to say you know the rules have changed and defenses are trying to do what they can do to adapt. The 49ers have done an incredible job of it. Uh, there's a lot of other teams that consistently seem to put defense, uh, good defenses out there on the field. Uh, but uh, it's an exciting time for the NFL with all these great uh, young players, uh, all the excitement, the energy, the buzz is as strong as it's ever been. And uh, there's a lot to be excited about. I do believe that we have the two best teams playing in the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't be surprised either way with how this thing went. Steve, Eli, Eli Manning just retired. I'm not asking about the Hall of Fame or anything. That's neat. I'll, I'll save that for other times. But Will Brinson had a pretty pretty strong tweet just about two hours ago where he said, you know, Eli's a career 500 quarterback. Yeah, he's got two Super Bowls, but, you know, they're treating him like he's the greatest of all time. The Giants are. They're having ceremony after ceremony after ceremony. Meanwhile, Phillip Rivers, they won't even answer his text with the, with the L.A. Chargers. It looks like Eli made the right decision. Do you think, because we've had younger players who, who seem to be more enlightened to their power, 
Will we see more situations like Eli Manning where maybe a player says, and, and before John Elway where he's going to go, you know what, you can draft me. I'm not going to play for your team. I'm going to sit this thing out. Well, it's a good, it's a good question. It has not happened many times in the mm-hmm. past. And, and I, I can't think of uh, – it, it did happen right shortly after John. That went back my year coming out in, in 1987. There was a quarterback you probably don't even know remember him, but his name was Kelly Stoffer. Um, and oh he was goodness, out of Colorado man. State. He was the fourth or fifth pick in the draft my year. Uh, he did the same thing. He held out, was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, did not report, uh, told him that he didn't want to go. Uh, he ended up holding out for a whole year, and uh, it never really got his career going. But uh, I, I can see it happening in the extreme situations like this one. I mean, a lot of people believe, and, and it's hard to, to refute, that the, going to the Cincinnati Bengals for Joe, Bureau right, uh, Joe Burrow right now would be um, a, a very difficult place to experience success. Uh, with the way that team and that organization is run right now. So uh, this is the extreme case scenario where this could happen. I don't don't think it's going to become a regular situation, but I do believe that it could very well happen this year if the the Bengals don't deal that pick somewhere. And uh, Joe Burrow does not want to get buried in that organization, which a lot of people think could happen. Now, I mean, Jacksonville, when they took you in the expansion – and you're taking over an expansion franchise. You're going great. This is going to be wonderful. And you may say that, but you might say that publicly. And maybe you really felt that way, Steve. But you've technically been through this situation, even though it was an expansion draft. How many of these guys, if you were to give them true serum over the last how many years, when they're taken number one by these teams, they're going can't wait for this challenge. They're going, yeah, well, we'll figure it out. Well, in general, yeah, I mean that, that that is the case. If you're if you're going to a team that's got that first pick, unless they've moved up to get that first pick, you're, you're walking into a a bad situation probably. And, and and it just depends on who that organization commits to as a coach and how stable they are as far as being able to get that back on track. You know, my you mentioned the expansion draft for me. I didn't have a choice. Um, I, I was put on the expansion list by a guy I don't like talking about because I didn't think too highly of him as a head coach. I was Buddy Ryan. <clears throat> and and uh, that was the year that, that both the Carolina Panthers and the Jaguars came into the league. And I was excited to be in a situation where I was going to get to go somewhere where uh, I was going to be wanted. Now, uh, the things didn't work out in Jacksonville. I, was, I really was hoping I would go to Carolina, and I ended up there a year later. Uh-huh. Uh, but but the way that the Jaguars and, and Tom Coughlin and everybody promised me that things were going to be played out, it didn't work out that way. It was a very difficult year. It was a bad situation, but uh, fortunately I was able to get out of it after a year, and, and, and things got better from there. But um, what these kids are going through now, what Joe Burrow specifically is going through, is, is a very difficult situation. You're talking about the beginning of what hopefully will be a long, prosperous career and it's a major, major decision. I, I can understand the argument either way. Uh, it'd be very, very difficult to sit back and just say, I'm going to be happy going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Guys are playing sooner than they ever have. These two quarterbacks that are taking on each other next week, they actually sat. You know, Patrick Mahomes sat for basically an entire year, and his team was a playoff team. And obviously we know the history of Jimmy Garoppolo. What do you think is the right way to bring along a young, talented quarterback? I, I always have believed, and this goes back to – but when I was coming out, and, and the philosophy was different in those days, uh, there was the exceptions of John Elway's and, and uh, you know the Dan Marinos, uh, these guys that, that came in and became starters very early. But in general, 
I've always believed that it's better if you could let the, the, the young QB sit for at least a year. If there's a veteran that can keep you competitive, not only is it going to give you a better chance to win that year, uh, it's going to let that young quarterback have a chance to really uh, get himself settled in as an adult, as a professional, uh, kind of figure out a routine, uh, go through all the adjustment period of, of coming out of college into the professional world of, of sports. And I think that's the ideal situation. But, man, there's a lot of these kids now that are, that are stepping up and showing they can handle it. Uh, but you see the, the result, I think, and the benefit of the Jimmy Garoppolo, the Patrick Mahomes of learning behind uh, an established NFL quarterback uh, and, and then really just taking off from there. So I prefer that to be the case. I think there's a lot of great examples of that. But, man, with the money and with the press and everything else, a lot of these kids are getting put out there early. And mm-hmm. I think it's a 50-50 proposition if you really were to go out there and do some kind of statistical analysis of it. The offenses have really been different from college to the pros for the last decade. Do you think that that's harmed some young quarterbacks because they're going from wide-open, spread offenses, they get to the line of scrimmage, they look to the sideline for the signal, and away they go, and then they're, they're thrust into some situations where they're in a pro style, offset eye, line it up, do that, and, and, and it's taken a minute for the NFL to try to do it that way and to help out younger quarterbacks sooner. Well, it, every case is different. Every situation is different. It, it truly depends on not, not only the the skill set of that particular quarterback, but it does depend on the stability of the organization and how, how committed they are to what they're doing, how established that head coach is to what he's doing. And the stability is the key word. I mean, that's what every quarterback that's ever played in the NFL uh, can tell you is the most important factor to try to find a situation where you are going to have – a system in place for three, four, five years at a minimum, and you're going to have an organization committed in knowing how to build a team around you. Um, Hopefully some of the core principles, core features of a a good team are in place already when you get there, but not everybody has that luxury. And so all those things factor into it, as well as just the skill set of that particular quarterback. Some quarterbacks can't make that transition for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it's style. Maybe it's uh, the, the speed of the game. Maybe it's the intellect. Who knows? But uh, there's a lot of different reasons. We can build a lot of different cases as to why things do or do not work out for these young quarterbacks. You did win a Super Bowl, right? I did. I got one with the Cowboys. I was in the right. What do you, do you still have the ring? Oh, of course I have the ring. you kidding me? I, I, uh, I, <laughs> Some I guys, that that's ring. weird. <laughs> no, I, I, would, uh, I would tell you, uh, I'm not going to tell you where I keep it, but of course uh, generally speaking, it's somewhere around where I am. Uh, so, uh, because I like wearing it. The only time I ever wear it is, is, is in, if I'm doing something on television or if I'm going to some kind of uh, a function uh, or a business uh, type of a, an endeavor, uh, I'll break it out and wear it in those situations. So I like kind of having it around most of the time, but um, I don't wear it around uh, you know, just casually because it just becomes too much of a conversation piece. Of course. I mean, my God, it's a Super Bowl ring, Steve. Real right. quick. When when these things happen, it's such a euphoric feeling. Sometimes when you think back on it, you're like, ah, I would have done this different. I would have done that different. What would you have done different after you won that Super Bowl with the Cowboys? Well, that's a that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of things I would have done differently at different courses or different points in my career. Uh, you know, having the benefit now of wisdom and hindsight. But um, you know, I was fortunate the, the year that we won that first Super Bowl. It was a 92 season, 93 Super Bowl, um, and, and it was the first year of free agency in the NFL. 
that came that year. So uh, Joe Montana and myself were the first two kind of hot commodity quarterbacks to come out uh, that year and, and really get to experience free agency. So um, I, I was really excited about that time in my life. I ended up choosing to go to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, it didn't work out great because uh, after my first year, Buddy, Buddy Ryan was brought in. Mm-hmm. And you look back and you say, maybe there was a better place I could have chosen with a little bit more stability. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And you look back at it and you say, I gave it everything I had. I don't have a whole lot of regrets, but I would do some things a little bit differently, knowing what I know now. Steve, I can't thank you enough. You're great. Hope to run you down again soon. All the very best to you and yours. Anytime. Happy to do it, man. Take care. Thank you. You too. Steve Berline with us on the show, NFL college football analyst, 17-year NFL quarterback, Super Bowl champion, host on CBS Sports Network. Follow him on Twitter at Steve Berline. I think fans do that too. My favorite team won in basketball in 2016, and I was hosting during that time, and it was a cool moment. We had the great Michael Williams on to talk about the PGA, and he knew what was happening at the time, so he basically pontificated for 10 minutes so I could collect myself while that was going on, and now I look back and I go, yeah, I kind of wish I would have taken the night off. Kind of really, really wish I would have taken that night off. Because I didn't think about it this way. Like, I, I thought they could win. I said, man, if they get to a game seven, no one's beating LeBron. And then they won, and for the next three hours, there's people right outside the studios, and they're going crazy because our studios are located in downtown. And I know you fork feeling, and it stayed that way, but it did feel like a prison because everybody else around me is having fun, and I'm going, yeah, anyway, the uh, the Cavaliers win the championship, and we'll take your calls. It, it just wasn't – I wish I would have taken that night off. So if I could go back and do it as a fan, that's the way I would have done it. 855-2124-CBS. Coming up in just about 20 minutes. I swear it's not a hot take. It's just my feelings. Up next, for the next 88 days, remember, draft picks, they're for losers. It's Ken Common on CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.